Welcome to Tower Hill Online. I'm Karen G, and this is our weekly sermon recap. Our hope is to inspire you, but more importantly, we want this message to help grow your faith. Today, we're in part four of our sermon series called The Heart of Christmas. And this week, we're on the search for how to show God-sized love with not just our family and friends, but with everyone. And that's easier said than done. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Well, we're really wrapping up our Advent series as we're getting close to Christmas, which is crazy. Christmas next weekend. Wow. (laughs) Still got a lot of shopping to do. Anyway, um, as we're going through Advent, we've been talking a bit about why Advent's such a great season in the life of the church and why, in some ways, we need to, I think, rediscover its purpose. Its purpose is to slow us down. Advent is a season that is meant to focus, meant to slow us down and consider God's presence in the midst of everyday life. Because again, Advent isn't just about getting ready for Jesus to be born. It's certainly celebrating that and how God's people were waiting for so long for that to happen. But it's also waiting for God to come back when he comes again. And it's also waiting for God that we're waiting for him to show up in all the little mini advents of our daily life, showing up in our circumstance, in our relationships, in our finances, in our parenting. (laughs) I mean, pick it. Or even uh, caretaking for our parents. There are a lot of different ways that we're waiting for God to show up. So I think Advent helps us answer the question, what does it look like to faithfully wait? It's like uh, preparing to have a baby. You know, pregnant, getting everything ready, getting the nursery ready, getting all this stuff ready. It's not a passive waiting. Okay, well, in nine months, we're going to have a baby. Awesome. Let's just do nothing. No, it's an active waiting. You're moving. There's constant movement all the way through. Well, it's the same thing with waiting upon God. It's not like we just passively sit by. This is where my own father struggled in his faith, was he was always the kind of person that, he was was a Christian when he passed, uh, but he he struggled because he'd be like, if Jesus just came and sat on the couch and talked to me, then I'd believe, right? Why doesn't he just do that? Why doesn't he just show up when I ask him to? And having to learn that, we see by faith and not by sight, and waiting upon God was a really difficult thing for him, but it's difficult for all of us. So Advent, I think, is very much about what does it look like to faithfully wait on God in your life? And today we're talking about my favorite, love. Everyone loves love. Listen, we do crazy things for love, especially around Christmas, and we don't know how crazy until the bill comes in January. (laughs) Dang, I don't love my kids that much. (laughs) Just kidding, of course I do. <laughs> right? And we do some crazy things, like we gotta get everything ready. Maybe we got like a little little Clark like in us, you know, like everything's gotta be perfect, and we gotta do the house lights and the, uh, good, good, good. right. It's we get a little bit of that. And um, I had some of that this year when we were decorating. We had like the first round of stuff like fell. And then in the rain it shorted out. And I thought I'd done the electrical tape around it. Apparently not. Anyway, we all start getting a little crazy. 
We even get crazy. This is my favorite crazy thing that many of us do, is we have emergency gifts. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We have emergency gifts. So if somebody gives us a gift and we hadn't gotten them anything because we weren't expecting a gift from them, you break the glass on that puppy and you, you got something ready to go. We do crazy things for love. Now, of course, it's not just at Christmas time. We do crazy things for love. I'm sure all of you lovebirds have some stories about crazy things you have done for love. I was just thinking back of when Karen and I were dating, and that was the time of the calling cards. Remember the calling cards? So they were, they were like 30 bucks, and the connect fee was 15. So you'd connect on the long-distance card, because she was in California. I was in Pennsylvania at the time. So I'm blowing through these in my youth ministry budget that, you know, youth minister budget that I didn't have. And, uh, and I'm calling her, calling her. And think about like driving late at night to go see someone. Like everyone's got like those crazy stories of love. The craziest story though, my wife has me and it's not even close. She lived in Irvine, California. And in order to come and marry me, she had to move to Philadelphia in the winter. <laughs> I knew it was forever. <laughs> Listen, we all do crazy things for love. But also, love is kind of, at least the way that we talk about it in the world or talk about it in human relationships, love seems to sort of be touch and go. I mean, obviously, there's, there's love that is a lasting love, but I think there's a lot of love that we talk about in human relationships, especially where, I don't know, it can fade, it can stop, it can Here's my point. Love can be sort of fickle. Right, Giants fans? <laughs> you know my team, so I could say that. Love, love can be fleeting. It can be, here's the thing that people will say to you. They'll say, for the sake of love, follow your heart wherever it takes you. Follow your heart. The problem with that is that my heart is broken by sin, so following my heart can lead me to some dumb places. What I want to do is follow God's heart wherever it leads. So what do we mean when we talk about Christian love? Is it kind of the same as the love that we talk about? Uh, similar and yet different. And today I think it's in the difference that we find a lot of hope and trust and life that we can live today talking about love. One of the biggest examples of like God-sized Christian love that's in scripture. I always like to do this time of year because I want to give a shout out to Joseph. Joseph doesn't even get a speaking part in the play. And yet Joseph, I think, demonstrates God-sized Christian love in a huge way leading up to the birth of Jesus. Let me refresh your memory. You're going to hear this probably a few times. Mark chapter, or excuse me, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what's that all about? Well, during that time, if you were found to be pregnant before marriage, that was a huge disgrace, and you were ostracized. You were cast out. You were shamed for that. So what does this tell me about Joseph? 
He loves God. He loves the law. But he loves Mary deeply. He didn't do what would have been the normal thing that nobody would have blinked an eye at. He did the harder thing because he loved her. He didn't want to put her through that. He was protecting her. I find God-sized love in Joseph's story in a really powerful way. Let's keep going. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like Joseph? Got a couple questions? <laughs> right, maybe? I don't know. I have to think there's questions and like, with our modern brains now, I feel like we can conceive of so much more because we have this whole world of communication and thought and, you know, all these thousands of years of, of history and we've taken a lot of steps. They might all be steps forward, but we've taken a lot of steps. So I'm, like, I'm thinking of Joseph, like ancient Near East Joseph, who's just going to marry this girl and gets this news. What the heck he's thinking? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He's quoting Isaiah here. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph did... He had enough faith to do what was asked of him. I'm sure he had questions, but it didn't stop him from doing what God wanted. I feel like that's a lesson to me, probably a lesson to you. It's like, do you have to have all the answers before you take a step to do what you feel God's pulling you to do? Most of us, we hold a criteria to God that we don't hold to any other area of our life. Like we start thinking, yeah, but if this isn't just exactly like this, and I'm like, I'm like it, there's no other area of life we do that with, but we do that with God all the time. That's a whole nother sermon. But here's what I know about Joseph. Joseph loved Mary so much he didn't want her ruined by the pre-marriage pregnancy, and Joseph loved God so much he was willing to listen and take action, to trust and to do. That is what God-sized love looks like. There is a depth and a trust and a surrender to God-sized love. And every time we see it, we're reminded of just how big and incredible this love is. So what did Jesus say about love? That's always a good place to start. You ever wonder, like, think about any topic? That's a great place to start. What did Jesus say about it? Sometimes you'll find he didn't talk about that particular topic. Or maybe you'll find he talked about a topic that's very much pertains or is related to that. What did Jesus say? Well, as you can imagine, he said a lot, although honestly, he talked about money even more than love. Again, that's another sermon. What did Jesus say? He said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sacrifice, surrender. I care about you more than I care about even my own life. That's God-sized love. He also says this, which is wild. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, what did he command? Glad you asked. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Said, of all the commandments, because there were the Ten Commandments and there were like the 600 different kind of ancillary commands that were interpreted by rabbis over generations. So there, were, there was a lot. Which is the greatest one? Jesus answered with two, which is very, that's just like Jesus, right? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. That was actually a prayer that every school-aged child would know. That was called the Shema. Every Jewish child would learn that prayer by heart. And that's what they would always say. They would say it every day. So Jesus is saying, it's the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he didn't stop there. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Which incidentally is exactly what Joseph did. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, strength loved others, loved Mary as himself. God's love has two vertices, right? I mean, it's the vertical and it's the horizontal. Two different planes. We are called to love one another as he loves us. God loves us unconditionally and calls us to love others. Somehow those two things are related. In other words, I think you could extract from this principle that Jesus teaches is that show me somebody who has a hard time loving other people and I think they have a hard time loving God well. I think they they go together. You've even met Christians like that before. They seem to love God so much and they're just nasty to everybody else. What is that? Well, I think they're not paying attention to the two ways that Jesus tells us that love works. And if one of those ways is broken, everything's broken. So, what do we mean when we talk about Christian love? Love is so much deeper. You know, my window into God-sized love was really when my first child was born. When Katie was born, it's like I all of a sudden knew love in this whole different way. You know, babies, when they're born, they're not exactly cute, I'm t- like, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, like, it's not cute, the beginning part. Like, they get cute. Anyway. And, and I remember holding her for the first time. And she's, she's crying. She can't hold her own head up. Her eyes are closed. She doesn't know who the heck I am or any, anything yet. She's done nothing to earn my love, to say, I love you, Daddy, or anything like that. But there was something inside of me when I held her for the first time. Something inside me bo- both broke and was built. I feel like I, I, I'm like, I would step in front of traffic for this kid just because she exists. I feel like that's a tiny glimpse into what God-sized love is when we talk about Christian love. It's the kind of love that loves unconditionally, sacrificially, just because we exist. This is uh, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, like in those old uh, uh, word problems that you would get in school? Anybody? I know. Maybe got there's a few cobwebs in there. I got to. But I was thinking about word problems. They always say when you see is, you put an equal sign. God equals love. So whatever understanding of love we have, it's derivative from what love really looks like. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's say a guy's climbing a tree. And, uh, you know, it's maybe not too high of a tree. And he falls and he lands on his feet. Or does like the superhero pose. People might say, oh, man, woo, cat-like reflexes. All right. But then a, a cat does it. And you're not like, woo, cat-like reflexes. No, it's just like a cat. It's what they do. And, and when you think about it, the man's actions are a likeness to, but they're actually not even really close to a cat. You just sort of say it because it reminds you of it. This is how I think when I think about God's love. Human love can be like God's love sometimes, but honestly, it's really not close. It reminds us of the love of God, but it never goes as far as the love of God. It never loves as deeply or as perfectly or as unconditionally as the love of God. We talk about God's love. Or we ask, how much does God love us? This much. He loves us enough to hang on the cross for those who literally would spit at and mock him with our lives. That's how much he loves us. So I think the first thing to understand about how God's love is different is that Christian love, God doesn't just love. God is love. Why is this important? Because it's a reminder that if God is love, then everything God does is love. There are some times when you may feel unloved by God. You haven't been paid attention to, and sometimes you think it's your fault. Well, not a very good Christian. I haven't been to church in a long time. I just started coming back. God's got me in the penalty box. I love you, but you don't ever need to say that to me when you talk about what's going on with you and God, because it's not true. God doesn't have you in a penalty box. That's weird. God loves you so much more deeply than you can fathom. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's not penalizing you. That doesn't mean when you sin there aren't consequences. Of course there's consequences. Those are consequences usually between human beings. They're things we do to ourselves. I feel far apart from God because of my actions, but it's not because of God. To remember that God's going to show up. God loves you without condition. And that's the second part. God's love is radically different and infinitely better than what the world would say love is all about. In the New Testament world, there were three different ways of talking about love. The, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which was a particular kind of ancient Greek. It wasn't like a Greek philosophy, classical Greek. It was like an everyday trade language. 
It's kind of the difference between English and like old English, ye oldie shoppy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and anyway, in the Koine Greek, there are three different ways of talking about love. The first uh, is eros, which where we get the word erotic, and yes, we just said that in church. It's about ro- romantic love, that's where that comes from. Philia, any Philadelphia fans uh, here? I'm just, like, everybody, there's always a few, and they're like, uh, brotherly love, that's uh, that kind of love. Um, paternal, you know, kind of uh, brother and sister love. And then there is agape love, which is perfect. The idea of love, a love that is so perfect and deep that it, it never makes a mistake. It's always perfect love, unconditional. And this is the kind of love that Jesus talks about when he talks about love. Now, uh, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, which is now the verse that talks about what this agape love looks like. And I guarantee you've heard it at 99% of every wedding you've ever been to. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is everything. My mom, um, when she passed away, we had on her grave, as she was such a big Beatles fan, love is all you need. And she was right. It's true with God. Love is everything. His love, his perfect love is all you need. It's everything. And if you don't have that, The Apostle Paul says you have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And here's how he describes what this agape love is. And again, love equals. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Do me a favor. Can you go back to the beginning of this passage? I want to read through it again just a little differently. If God equals love, I want to substitute those two words and read it again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have God, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have God, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have God, I gain nothing. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. 
does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. How many of you need to be reminded about that with God? Keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Experiencing God's side of love is only possible because of Jesus. Because he was born, we celebrate that he was born, and he went to the cross to die for us. And then it gives us an ability, a capacity to receive God-sized love and to share it with the world. Now, we're going to mess that up because we're still human beings. But the promise is you can experience God-sized love now. I don't know anybody that has said, you know, I think my life won't be as good if I don't have God-sized love in it. It will be infinitely better. What's that saying? Jesus Christ is better and will make you better at life. What do we believe? We talked about this last week, that sin separates us from God. But Jesus has made a way through the cross for us to receive God's love forever. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We talked about this a couple months ago. This is why I love this example of adoption to understand God's love. It's a relationship change based on love. Nothing in this world feels more loving. We don't experience love any more deeply than when we're chosen. We're chosen. God chose us because he loves us to be his own. And adoption's a great word because it's not just love, but it's, hey, there's a legal status change. You now, in the eyes of the law, are a child of the Most High God. You know, I think we do crazy things for love because we come by it honestly. What crazier thing did anyone do for love than for the creator of the world to enter his own creation for the sake of dying at its hands so that they can be saved? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now here's the real question. This is the thing we have to consider. What does this mean? How will I respond to this kind of love? Am I going to follow my heart wherever it leads me? Or are I going to follow God's heart that beats within me and do whatever he asks? Like Joseph, 
Am I going to love well, both horizontally and vertically? If I do that, I'm Jesus' friend. I mean, that's how it happens. The only way we grow in our capacity for love is to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not as hard as you think. It doesn't take as much time as you think. If you committed to five minutes a day to pray or read a devotional, listen, Barnes & Noble is about 300 devotionals you go by, but you know how Amazon works. You don't have to leave your house. Get up any devotional you want. You get it right on your phone for free. Five minutes. You set a five-minute timer on your phone because you know you got your phone with you. If you did that five out of seven days a week for three weeks, you would be a different person. It's amazing. It's not, it's not the time commitment, it's the consistency over time. That's probably true with a lot of things in life. Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. I like how he puts it. My suggestion as you think, make decisions, and discern how God would have you live is to ask yourself, is this the most loving way to do life? Am I loving my neighbor and my God by living where I live, by driving what I drive, by talking how I talk? Maybe that's a place to start. Because his love is so much better. What's that? One thing remains. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. I pray that you believe that as you walk out these doors this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.